0: There's a short phrase that, from scripture, that's been running through my head and my heart. I guess since Wednesday evening, uh, Brother Kenny referred to this phrase, this in scripture, and he made some comments similar to this. It almost sends shivers down my spine whenever I think of it. Do you remember saying that, Brother Kenny? I checked to see how many times this exact phrase is used in the scripture, and it looks like it's 44 times, 19 times in the Old Testament and 25 times in the New Testament, and so I would just encourage you for now to just leave your Bibles on your lap and listen as I read a few of these verses that has this exact phrase in it. Number one, when Jacob was speaking to Rachel and Leah in Genesis chapter thirty one, verse seven, he said this And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered not suffered him not to hurt me. Two, when Jacob well I'm sorry, when Joseph was speaking to his brothers in Genesis forty five verse eight, he said this, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Three, Joseph speaking again to his brothers. In Genesis 50, verse 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Four, in Second Chronicles 20, verse 15, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king of Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. For the battle was not yours, but God's. 5, Psalm 49, verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah the psalmist had found an anchor for the storms and struggles. Number six, Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart faileth. Have any of you ever been there? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Seven, Acts 13, verses 29 to 30. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, speaking of Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Eight. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And the last one for now. Number nine. In regard to the temptations we faced, and Brother John Ralph's, Ralph finished our Sunday school lesson with this verse. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So who can tell me the short phrase that connects all these verses? Thank you. But God. That's the title of the message this morning. But God, and why don't I read all these verses to you? I read these verses to strengthen your faith. When life is at its worst, God is at his best. But you know, I'm blessed. God doesn't change. He's always at his best. Never forget. But God. For a text, I would invite you to Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. And you might chastise me. You might say, Jay, we just studied this Wednesday evening. But if you all don't mind, we had a pretty small crowd Wednesday evening. So I don't think it's going to hurt us to look over this again. I was really impressed by this verse, Ephesians 2, verse four, verses 4 and 5. And I would like to ask you the question, how much do you appreciate God's deliverance and provision through Jesus Christ our Lord? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. I guess I feel like it's easy for us not to appreciate, like we should, God's intervention and His blessing. This, there's a tremendous transition from verses 1, 2, and 3 to what follows in the rest of the chapter. And I think it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to just kind of accept it and not appreciate it like we should. I'd like to share a statement with you and you all tell me whether you think this... Statement God was more concerned for your and my spiritual condition than he was for the physical comfort of his own son on the cross. Is that true? God was more concerned for your and my spiritual condition than he was for the physical comfort of his own son on the cross. Did God care for his son? Absolutely he did. But he was concerned for his creation and how that we were in sin and how we could be redeemed back. You know, Jesus was willing to suffer a physical death and to redeem us back to the Father. And I say, praise his holy name. I submit to you that true love requires sacrifice. So I'd like to look at the first part of this chapter And read verses 1 and 2. And ask the question, from where were you delivered? Verses 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Where were you delivered? You were delivered from being dead in trespasses and sins. That was our former condition outside of Christ. We were following the dictates of the flesh as directed by our master, which was Satan at that time. We were living in rebellion to our creator. Second point of the message, from where were you delivered? Verse 3, where were you delivered from, among whom also... We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. From where were you delivered? We were by nature the children of wrath. Because of our acts, because of our rebellion against God, we were subjects to his wrath, and we were doomed for an eternal hell. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's where we were. Do we realize how awful? Where we were headed. Because of our rebellion against God, we were headed for an eternal hell. And I didn't dedicate a whole sermon this morning to hell. But as we think about where we used to be and the life that we used to live, I think it's good for us to consider the two, and I guess it's, it's probably my intention, I would like to consider some of the conditions of hell, but I'd like to also, probably the next time I preach, have a sermon on heaven to balance us out. But I'd like to consider a little bit, what are the conditions of hell? That's where we were headed before God's intervention. Number one, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Hell is a literal place. Matthew 25, verse 41. I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. Then shall he say unto them on the left, left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And Luke chapter 16, verse 28, would bring out the same thing. Luke 16, verse 28, you know the story there of the rich man and Lazarus? And the rich man, in verse 28, said, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Hell was a literal place. And the rich man didn't want his brothers to come there. Secondly, hell is an everla- it's everlasting, it is forever. Once again, there in Matthew 25, verse 41, then shall he say unto you, unto them on the right hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is everlasting, it is forever. Thirdly, hell is no has no stability. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Hell hath no stability, it is bottomless. Number four, hell is not annihilation. Some people would say that when a person is thrown into hell that they're annihilated, they're burned up, and that's it. And I think one of the scriptures that they use is Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, where the Bible says, For behold, as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But we don't believe, according to scripture, other scriptures that we read, that hell was annihilation. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and 44. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And you can read there in verse 46 and verse 48 where it says the same thing, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And so hell is not annihilation. And number five, in hell there is no relief. Revelation 14, verses 9 and 11. We're talking about where we were. We were headed because of our rebellion against God. Where were we headed in hell there is no relief. Revelation 14, verses 9 to 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, then shall the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So in hell there is no relief. Now most of you probably have experienced in your life some... unrelenting pain. And I can remember sometimes, and it's been a long time ago, but there's been some times that I've sat on a lazy boy in the at night on the weekend with a horrible toothache and just hoping I can get through the week till I can get to a point where somebody can help me. Um, I don't know if any of you have had an abscess, but I have. And an abscess, sometimes you can... If you have really, really cold water, you can drink a little bit and that will take the pain away for a minute or two. And then after a while, the pain just starts building again. To, and I spent long hours on a lazy boy hoping I could make it through the weekend. But I would tell you that there's no, no relief in hell. There's no relief of any kind. Number four, who is it that goes to hell? Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. There's a list, and I won't tarry long. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Who is it that goes to hell but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death? And I could ask you to think of some people that atrocious have- acts. And I don't know who you think of. I thought of a few. I thought of Joseph Stalin. And I'm not sure how many deaths he was responsible for. We think of Adolf Hitler, probably responsible for the deaths of six million Jews. And I was sad to think of Ravi Zacharias. If what is quoted about him is true, if it's really true. It's very sad to have a man that was preaching and yet was living a secret life very sad were these men would they be turned into hell for the atrocious acts that they committed or would it be something else now you can you can correct me yes what they did was wrong they committed uh, things against the commandments of God. But it seemed to me that people being like that, being turned into hell, the greater sin than committing those acts is rejecting the provision that God has made available. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? What they did was horrible. That is right. And yet, they could have been saved, but they chose to reject the provision. The blood of Christ who could have made the difference. That was available, made available to Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Robbie Zachary, and any of us that had committed sins against God, or rebelled against God. The greater sin is rejecting the provision. And you and I probably have heard people that have asked the question, why would a loving God send someone to hell? Well, you know what? He doesn't. A loving God made provision so mankind is not predetermined to go into hell. Who are the inhabitants of hell? And I would submit to you that the inhabitants of hell are those who reject God's provision. And I don't know I don't know your heart, but if there's anybody here this morning that's caught up in the bondage of sin, or if you're living a life to please yourself, it could be someone that has never given their heart to the Lord, or it could be someone that has backslidden in their experience, and they know that they're not living according to, to God, and they have not accepted the shed blood or the provision of God, I submit to you there's hope in Jesus Christ this morning. And you might ask me, why am I including such morbid information and details and things in a sermon? For one reason, I include it because it's true. I don't apologize for sharing things from God's word, whether it's hell or whatever, because that's what God's word says. But I'd like us to think about, but God, it's where mankind were, but God intervened and he brought provision through Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. Why do I include such morbid things in a sermon? Because I believe it emphasizes the beauty that we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. You see where people were headed. They were enemies of God. Headed to an eternal hell. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. But God, what a beautiful intervention. We think about Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. But what is on the other side? The rest of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think of the, the great contrast between the wages of sin and the gift of God. God came. We do not have to go made to an end. eternal hell. I don't know if I have time to share this story or not, but... I think I'll share a little bit. Thinking about the wonder, I think it's easy for me not to appreciate God's great intervention and his making, making a way for us. I don't think I appreciate it like I should. I understand that many years ago, um, I'm trying to think of the evangelists, uh, Ira Sankey and D.L. Moody, were going to England and they were having a revival series there. Many people were coming to this revival series but there were some other people that were coming that were not very welcome and that was the gypsies. The gypsies had a reputation for being people that would steal and so the the church people or the people coming to this tent or wherever it was there in England didn't want the gypsies to come because they thought they would be stolen from and so they banned the gypsies from coming to these revival meetings iris and D.L. moody got the idea well if the gypsies can't come to us let's take the gospel to them and so they went out i think it was a sunday they went out to uh, where the gypsies were outside of town and they preached the gospel to them and Many people were saved, it's my understanding. And, but when they went to leave, they had their horse and their chariot there, and there was a couple little boys that were standing around, and, and Ira Sankey just took his hand and he put his, his hand over on this little gypsy boy and he prayed for him. God, make this little boy a preacher and make him a man that would save or preach the gospel to many. It's my understanding that about 50 years later, uh, in America, uh, Ira Sankey was at home and he got a knock on his door. And a man came and he said, do you remember the time that you were there in England and you all went out to have this service for the gypsies? And Ira Sankey said, yeah, I I remember that. And he said, well, do you remember that you prayed for a little boy uh, that he would become a preacher? And he said, well, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, I am that boy. That boy's name was Gypsy Smith. It's my understanding that Gypsy Smith preached in England and in the United States and for many, many years. And there's somebody that had observed Gypsy Smith when he preached in America the first time. And then many years later, he was preaching. And they said, Gypsy Smith was preaching with as much fire and vim as he did 50 years ago, and he said, Gypsy, what is your secret? And he said this, I have never lost the wonder of it all. Have you and I, other times when we have lost the wonder of Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, Jesus made a way for me I think too often, I don't thank the Lord as much as I should. I was bound for an eternal hell, and so were you. Do you appreciate Ephesians 2, that great transition, like you should? I don't want to go much into this, Brother Kenny. I don't know exactly how far I thought about calling you and I asked you where you stopped, but I didn't. But I'd like to consider real briefly some of the blessings of the redeemed life. Um, From this passage, verse 5, I'm going to move through these quickly. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. You and I have been quickened or made alive with Christ. Secondly, in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. You and I are sitting together in heavenly places. It's a blessing to worship the Lord with, with you today. Are we happy? Are we grateful for the privilege? There's a lot of people. I would suspect that you and I today are in the minority. There's probably more people in the world today that would like to get together like you and I are today and worship the Lord, and they can't because of persecution. Do you realize the blessings that you have today? Are you grateful for it? Chapter 2, verse 7. Thirdly, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. God's grace was unmerited. It is his unmerited grace. We did not deserve God's grace, but God who is rich in mercy. First Corinthians two verse nine We were bound for an eternal hell, and yet I hath not seen nor ear heard. I have not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. What a blessing. And then chapter 2, verse 8. Fourthly, our salvation is a gift. Remember, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The tremendous blessing, the transition. In conclusion. God's Word says it best in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And we know in the physical struggles and trials in life, God is there. He is faithful. But let's not forget Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive with Christ, by grace are you saved. It's my prayer that our hearts will well up with praise and adoration for God's deliverance and for His provisions. And brothers and sisters, let's never forget, but God, I was hoping that I could get through my, my material enough this morning that maybe we could sing just a couple verses of song of praise for God and what he's done for us. So if you all would allow us, I'd like us to sing, and maybe some of you have a verse of song on your tongue that that you would like to suggest. Um, I'm thinking of one. If you think of one or another one, I won't prolong it, if you don't have any but I'd like us to sing a verse of my Jesus I love thee My Jesus
1: I love, I love, love thee I love